A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 237 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. That's right, we're back. We are your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Zoom and Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me, like a living legend brought to life, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P., father now of Cade Butler! Hey, folks. I'm awake, I think. You don't get a whole lot of sleep as a new parent, apparently. Um, one of those things they do warn you about. Plenty of stuff they don't warn you about. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's been a been a while. I guess our last episode was in July. So let's see. Um, I'm a daddy now. Uh, everything worked out fine. Um, Cade was born on September 7th. So Cade Franklin Butler is here. Um, my wife is recovering. She actually goes back, back to work um, tomorrow as of the time that we're recording this. Um, she's been kept out for a little bit, going through physical therapy and things like that because uh, one thing they don't tell you is the number that uh, birth does on the woman's body and, and the, the road to recovery for that. Um, all that talk about how, well, you know, in the old days, the woman just popped the baby out and she went back to work the next day um, are either lies or those women were on some serious drugs. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, we had that. Uh, my Star Wars Timeline Gold finally came to an end in August with its last release, so it is out, StarWarsFanWorks.com slash Timeline. There will be no more of that, which has freed me and has very much changed my approach to uh, um, to the Star Wars uh, to, to Star Wars reading, I guess. I, mm. I don't feel the compulsion that I have to get it now or read it now and figure everything out. Like, I run into something that's a continuity thing, and I'm like, ha it's not my problem anymore! And... <laughs> Uh, and I'll be honest, like aside, like I'm, I'm reading the comics, but you know, like Vader's Castle and Star Wars Adventures, the IDW stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'll read it later. It's on there. I'll read it later. And then uh, I've got a pile that's like Lando's Luck and Solo novelization, Solo Junior novelization, et cetera, et cetera, just kind of piling up as I'm sitting over here like I can read what I want. Right. So I'm reading like the Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy stuff, and I'm reading Stormlight Archive and stuff like that. So, you know. That's that's an interesting freeing feeling. Um, but then, of course, uh, since I mean, since we last spoke, Resistance premiered a very slow burn. Uh, I would say it's a, a slow enough burn that if you tried to slow down the burn, you would be turning the stove off. <laughs> I'd like for there to be a little bit of Star Wars in my Star Wars show. So hopefully it is building to something. Um, and uh, we had a new series get announced that when Disney Plus the digital service launches, we got a Cassie and Andor series and Chuck Wendig's mouth unsurprisingly, um, finally got him booted from Marvel in his post-Kavanaugh uh, profanity-laden rant state. So it's been an interesting few months, but uh, yeah, I feel like the one thing we haven't been able to do is just sit down and, and record podcast-wise, and it's uh, it takes an act of heroism or heroinism 
Uh, not heroin, though. Uh, <laughs> on my wife's part, uh, she's in there watching Cade uh, while I come in here to record this. And the same kind of happens when it comes to recording the videos for the YouTube channel. It's very much a, okay, let me go ensconce myself in the office while she watches him, which is the flip side of how when she's at work, almost every day I'll be watching him and working here at the same time. So it's a, it's a whole new ball game here. Yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, we still enjoy the books and stuff, and we still had one to talk about that's been sitting here for a while. So we're we're, we're finally getting to it. That's right. I mean, I, and I love the fact that you and your wife are taking team to a whole new level. I mean, that's the beauty of, of a baby. Uh, and another one of the shows that was announced was also The Mandalorian by Jon Favreau. Oh, yes. Uh, we know that there's a Game of Thrones. Uh, the directors of Game of Thrones, the J.B. Weiss, uh, are doing a live action show at some point, which we assume is probably going to fall onto the Disney Plus as well. Uh, the Disney Plus service having a lot of Star Wars and or Marvel stuff right over there. That definitely looks like they're aiming it towards uh, you and me, Nate. That's definitely in our wheelhouse. And then plus with Cade coming, I don't know how you were before, but there's all those Disney movies like Moana and, and Frozen and Wreck-It Ralph and cinderella and yeah man peter pan mm-hmm. yeah we've been doing all kinds of, of the kids movie stuff to kind of get them ready but i will say that yesterday while my wife was out uh uh with her dad uh, which is kind of their saturday ritual thing and i was watching kate i needed to edit some of those episodes of stuff that was recorded for the youtube channel uh so as i was doing that uh, i set kate up to be able to watch a new hope and empire mm. on the tv in there so you know he's getting a he's getting indoctrinated Fairly early, I would say. This is something that that I want to throw your way because you're a new dad, right? Okay, so I did the same thing, right? My kids all watch Star Wars right out the gate. And yet on Star Wars Report, uh, my co-host Riley was one that came into Star Wars. I think he was like 10, 13. Like his parents like kept him Star Wars free. Like it was the way to be or something. But when he saw it, it was like this grand spectacle. And I feel like I've robbed my kids of that. Right. So like so I, I'm curious, like you're, you seem to do the same thing I did, which is awesome on one hand. But at the other, it's like, man, like, are, are you going to like like give him like some time out at some point where he feels like he doesn't know it and then reintroduce it to him? Or are you going to do what I did where you just it was always there? And then at some point you're like, OK, we're going to sit down and we're going to watch this in like a marathon thing, because I've, I've done that with both my kids now that they're teenagers and they put together things that they didn't quite put together before because they never watched it in a chronological sense. It was always just randomly playing in the background. Sometimes they would never even watch the full episode. They just catch scenes because they were doing stuff in the background. So, I mean, what is your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I want to throw your way as a new dad. You know, I don't really know. I mean, right now he's he's seen Solo, I guess. I mean, he's not going to remember anything this young. I mean, <laughs> he's he's two months old as of a few days ago. Um, but he's seen Solo. He was in utero for Solo and The Last Jedi. Uh, mainly what he's seen, though, has been episodes of Resistance when Jody and I are watching it. Um, mm-hmm. And so at some point, I'm going to have to deprogram him and, and, and turn him and say, this isn't actually what Star Wars is. It's not just generic space crap. There actually is something that makes Star Wars Star Wars. It's just not in this show yet. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm I'm, I'm enjoying Resistance and I like the the animation style that's growing on me now. But my God, I can't wait for. I mean, when when the when the highlight of the episode is the, is the 30 seconds where they actually do something with the First Order that actually seems like it's something other than generic space mm-hmm. sci-fi. I'm all kinds of excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, look! Now they've got gold armor phasma and red armor <laughs> pilot phasma that's not cardinal and just just. Give me something. Tell me it's building. And I think that it is 
given what we saw in the last episode as of the time we're recording this, I think they're building up. Um, but yeah, it'll be one of those ones that I think uh, binge watching will serve much better than than otherwise. But well, I think the anyway. Cold Era, the Cold War era that they placed it in was going to be difficult going in. And I'm hoping that by the time we get to season two, we'll have caught up with the, the Force Awakens, because at that point we're at full war and mm-hmm. the resistance starts to get wiped out. I mean, I could see this leading up to the point where the Colossus becomes a refueling base that these guys either, you know, steal it or or talk the people in there to joining the resistance to helping but it just seems like that's like the wave two of the resistance people because you know think Mm -hmm. about it even in the last jedi there's very few people that come to the resistance aid at this point they need ships they need fueling supplies i mean the fleet got decimated so i kind of hope that that's where they're going but i i'm with you on that feel of a slow burn i've only watched two episodes i think so far and i'm I'm hoping that binge watching is a better way of watching it because so far the one episode after one episode i i'm just not quite there but then again clone wars and even rebels had episodes that felt like that and then you went back and binge watched them you know with three or four episodes and it fit a little better and you got more of a sense of okay yeah that feels more like star wars sometimes the cartoon media the ratio the way it's delivered that 20 30 minute slot just isn't quite enough to really deliver the full impact feel sometimes it feels more like teen titans go kind of i mean not not that cartoon exaggerated but for star wars it does feel that way sometimes it's like this is teen titans go what we're gonna get on disney plus with the mandalorian will be titans (laughs) (laughs) f batman f odameron etc etc it is good though that they set up a base on the titan or the uh, titan on the uh, colossus so that if they ever get attacked they can just turn all the outside into like a metal skin and they're good (laughs) all right so anyway um so we've held back on talking about a particular book uh, because, well, we just haven't had time to record. Um, but it actually turned out to be the last of the adult novels that I wound up uh, summarizing for the Star Wars Timeline Gold. So I guess kind of fitting as our book as we're coming back. So uh, what are we getting into this time? Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, though, we ponder Timothy Zahn's Thrawn Alliances. That's right, the sequel to the original Thrawn book, or the follow-up to the original Thrawn trilogy, depending on how you look at it. But before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we're going to give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Okay, my turn for spoiler free. Okay, okay, ready? Meh. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I should probably give you a little bit more than that. Um, I, I think this is one that I was, I'll be honest, I was not particularly looking forward to it just because I really like the original Thrawn book for canon, at least. Um, I mean, I would like the Thrawn trilogy. I love the Thrawn trilogy from Legends. And I felt like Thrawn, I've said this a million times on the show, that Thrawn eventually went from being this character who was very good at deducing things and sort of a Sherlock Holmes type character, a brilliant tactician, to being almost godlike by the time you get to something like Choices of One, where, you know, he's, you know, he is the 12th 
slash 13 dimensional chess player who's calling everybody's moves 500 days ahead of time before they even know how the game works, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it's, it was stupid. It got to the point where his ability to just predict everything put him on a godlike level that even the Sith should have been um, very jealous of. Um, so the character got diluted down into kind of a, a crappy version of himself by the time the Legends continuity wrapped up. Then we saw him come back in Rebels, and I was pretty positive on the take that they gave in Rebels. Um, mm. But it was the Thrawn novel that really, I think, did it for me in the sense that it gave us a deeper Thrawn that made him very Sherlock Holmes-esque, showed us his deductive process, and gave us Eli Vanto mm -hmm. as a character to bounce off of and sort of see how he grows and how his career affects those around him. And to see someone who kind of acts like the Watson to Holmes and has that sort of... Um, you know, they're, they're both trying to figure it out, but maybe Thrawn's a little bit ahead. But as such, they're able to sort of deduce things together and you can sort of see the thought process working within them both, particularly whenever you're seeing the character from the outside and getting someone else's perception of Thrawn who's been with him long enough to understand him. Um, it really worked well as an origin story for Thrawn. And in that story, there were repeated references to, hey, hey, guess what? Thrawn actually knew Anakin Skywalker back in the Clone Wars during a mission. Oh, how sweet is that? It was basically like them, like like Zahn was writing, going, "How do I make sure they bring me back to write another one?" <laughs> and seeded those ideas in there. I feel like I'm very cynical this episode already. Um, but they like <laughs> fatherhood. Those, there you go. They seeded those things into the into the book. So this book was like, okay, well, it's going to be Vader and Thrawn, mm -hmm. and it's going to finally tell us the story that was hinted at to seed for another book back in the previous book. What's yeah. not to love? And what we got was a book that sort of split in half. You've got one chunk of it that takes place during the Clone Wars after Ahsoka has left the Jedi Order, sometime near the end of the Clone Wars, where it is in relation to the Lost Missions, where it is in relation to the upcoming final quote-unquote season on Disney+, Plus. we don't know. Um, it's just late in the Clone Wars. Then the other part, is taking place, and that's the that's the Anakin and um, Thrawn part, I should say, Anakin Thrawn mm -hmm. Padme part. Um, and then the other part is basically um, Vader and Thrawn on a mission for the Emperor in between seasons three and four of Rebels. So the Battle of Adalon has taken place, but the beginning of season four has not launched yet, and it's in that little gap in between. Um, and it gives us the interaction between Thrawn and Vader, something we really didn't get back in the previous book much. And it gives us a chance to sort of see Thrawn in his Chiss Ascendancy days and um, how exactly it is that he met Anakin. Um, what does he know about Anakin? Is he able to deduce whether Vader is Anakin and so on? And gives us a parallel story where some of the locations parallel between the two time periods, but in essence, they are almost two different stories. And I think for me, there's a part of me that just was not all that excited about just the premise of it. But I was like, you know what? This is Zahn doing Thrawn again. And Thrawn has been done really well in canon so far. And the first Thrawn novel was pretty solid. Let's check it out. The fact that we don't have an Eli Vanto character, I think, kind of hurts the book in the sense that we don't get all those different perspectives on Thrawn. It really is kind of focused mainly on Thrawn and Vader in that particular era. Um, it works well enough. It's got some great writing for things like how the Force works and how the Force would be perceived. But... It just kind of felt like a, a book that just kind of meandered its way along. Um, mm -hmm. It was all right. It wasn't great. It wasn't horrible. But in the end, when it comes down to it, 
the big twists of the book, which we'll talk about later, um, both in the past and in the present, are basically like a <gasps> dun dun dun, where anybody who has followed the Legends continuity would be like, oh, so it's the same here too? <laughs> okay. Right? Where you're just kind of like, what a twist? I mean, it's just, it, it's, what it did, it built and built and built. And I don't think it necessarily served the characters as well as it should. Um, mm. It's a book that if it didn't exist, there's maybe one or two plot points that might show up in the future that we would need. But otherwise, I'm not sure that this needed to be written. Um, and it's – although, to be fair, I've been one to complain about the fact that most of the new novels are tending to be character studies – often in different time periods or sort of origin stories for them, as opposed to being outright, you know, Star Wars adventures in a particular time period. And whereas this does take place in two different time periods, neither of those is really an origin story. They are basically adventures in both time periods. So yeah. maybe it's a careful what you wish for. You just might get it and it'll be a little bland. Um, so in that sense, it finally gave us something a little bit different. It's just one that, I don't know. I mean, I got to the end of it and I was kind of like, oh, yep, that was a Star Wars novel. As opposed to being all that excited about it. Yeah, the ending for me was was definitely the most lackluster experience all the way around. Uh, the way Zahn always puts promises in things, you know, like, oh, we'll find this out later, right? And yet, bam, here comes the epilogue. It's all wrapping up at once. But when it did, it left me totally feeling like, wow, that was it? Huh. You know, like, like I almost felt let down. Um, and I, I think for me, one of the biggest issues is the back and forth aspect of how they wrote it. Like, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of stories right now are really kind of leaning heavy on that premise of we're going to tell the two stories and we're going to fold it like a deck of cards together. Right. And we're going to go back and forth, back and forth. But I constantly get lost. Like, I don't have enough time to sit down and read the book all at once. So sometimes I come back and I'm like, wait, where the heck's going on? And now I've got two stories to kind of retract to find out where I'm at in all this and go forward. Sometimes I just wish they would just play it out chronological. Give me all of the Anakin and Padme and Thrawn stuff and then go to the future. You know, like, let me get to it in that order. Like, I don't know. For me, I think that was a big issue I had. Uh, the other side of it too, is it, it really leaned heavily on the, the Sherlock aspect, the promise of what's to come. I mean, Vader, especially like, Zahn did a good job of giving the reader enough reason as to why Vader isn't throttling him. Cause even Vader's like, I would have throttled you for more or for less. You know, he was like, why is Vader letting this stand? Like there's a lot of that throughout it, but at least Zahn gives us enough insight into Vader's mind that it plays off. Like, okay, I, I guess I could see why he's doing, but at the same time, I'm like, no way Vader is giving him way too much rope here. Like, I mean, clearly the fact that Palpatine likes Thrawn is playing a huge part into that. And they, they write that in there. But for me, I think that that's another side of it that just didn't quite work, but there were a lot of really cool moments. Um, there were some aspects of the villains in this that made me feel like we were supposed to see these, the species in a light of like similar to the Yuuzhan Vong, uh, kind of like a threat from outside the galaxy coming in, which, you know, when, whenever I hear that and I think of what's coming in Canon so far, the only threat from the outside coming in would be Snoke, 
you know, and his people, wherever they come from, because we know he came from outside the galaxy and he took over the first order. So I'm like, hey, you know, where, you know, where, where is this other galaxy these people are coming from? And, you know, like, I want to know more about that because that was something in the New Jedi Order, like they talked about that and that there was other galaxies out there, but there was a, a big void. It would take so long to get there. But we haven't really touched on that much in canon now. So I'm curious as to, you know, what the structure of that is. I remember at one, uh, one of the panels at Celebration Anaheim where John Jackson Miller was talking about the map. He's like, well, we're not reinventing the wheel. And yet in a lot of ways and a lot of aspects, they are reinventing the wheel because we're not going with a lot of the original backstories for a lot of these places, a lot of these characters. I mean, Matt Martin's as joked around about the fact that we don't know what a Bothan is. Bothan could be anything. It doesn't have to even be an alien for all we know. I mean, it just like blows my mind kind of stuff. So I don't know for me, like there's excitement to what they could do, but I felt like with the delivery all the way across was just, there's a promise of more, but I feel like some of the narrative wasn't there enough to really hook me. Cause like, like the, the villains in this, I was confused as to what their point is. I mean, like at one point Thrawn's like, well, how long have they been watching you? Cause the, the, the Chiss have been watching you for this long too. So there's a reason. And you're just like, wait, so that's the threat because they've been watching them all this time. Like, I, I don't know. I felt like there needed to be more dialogue there to really ramp it up. Whereas like with the Vong, it was clear right out the get go. You know, these guys felt like the gods had promised them this galaxy. They're here to cleanse all the infidels. Like that was a pretty straight, Hey, there's a threat. These other guys, like the, th I just didn't quite understand the threat. I mean, there were some cool aspects to what they were doing. Uh, the technology they were using, the two types of technology they were using to confuse the hell out of everybody, cutting people off from uh, hyperspace access. The, the fact that we had Batu show up, uh, and, and some of the weapons they used that felt very Vong-esque. There were some bugs that when they would crash into people that they would uh, turn into like stone, cement. There were some really cool force techniques that Anakin used, Vader later used, and some great insight into Vader thinking of Anakin. Like he would always see Anakin as the Jedi and they would always capitalize the and Jedi. And I always thought that was really interesting the way, you know, the approach that Zahn chose with that, you know, it was, it definitely gave you that feeling like even Vader felt like Anakin was someone else at this point, And they're pushing that narrative. I really, I really got a kick out of that. But at the end, by the time we got to the end of the way, it was just so slow leaking a balloon. I, I definitely felt like the ending was lackluster. And I feel like my total experience overall was kind of tarnished in that like i mean the first thrawn book was really good and this one you know you mentioned like do we need it and i felt like yeah i mean i felt like with the promise of anakin meeting thrawn we definitely needed this book and we got that story and it was an interesting take on that story but i don't know if i feel like that was the the best timothy zahn could have given us for a sequel you know what i mean can i but let me ask you a question then, because this is something that bothered some folks when the book – when the first Thrawn book, the first canonical – can we just call the first Thrawn book the first canonical Thrawn book the first Thrawn book, at least for the purposes of this and not get into the fact mm. that there were all the Thrawn books and legends so that we don't Absolutely. piss off people? Absolutely. Um, but uh, there were some people who were rankled, and I was a little bit wary of the fact that they dropped so many of those types of lines about, you know, well, he knew Anakin, et cetera, et cetera, into the first Thrawn book. Because you knew it was set up for telling another story later. And after seeing that so many times in the past, uh, mainly in the Legends continuity, but also some in canon, after seeing that so many times in the past, there's a part of me that says, we need to stop that. That is a cheap-ass tool to give us a reason to have another story that maybe or maybe not 
should have existed otherwise. Like you just said, the, the rationale you just gave for why this book should have existed was to answer the question of what about Anakin and Thrawn. Mm-hmm. But the only reason that those comments were dropped into the original Thrawn book presumably was to set up the need for this book. Right? So it's a circular logic, right? Yeah. Um, it's different when you have something like Outbound Flight. Like in the original Thrawn trilogy in Legends, you have the Outbound Flight project and a lot of questions about it and interest about it. And then years later, they use that as an excuse to write a very oversized, overblown Thrawn novel when it was getting towards the he's going to act like a god sometimes uh, era, um, but gave us Outbound Flight many years later to explain it. But it wasn't that we they were seeding Outbound Flight into the Thrawn trilogy so that then they could write an Outbound Flight novel. The Outbound Flight novel was just later, and it was, oh, here's something we haven't really explored in depth in a novel before that's kind of uh, interesting and people know about. Let's do a novel on this kind of thing to bring Zahn back. And in this case, it didn't feel like it. It didn't feel like the references were organic in the original Thrawn. They felt absolutely like specifically seeding to justify another book. Mm-hmm. So if that's the reason why this book should have existed, I got to call foul and say, OK, that is not a legitimate reason. You can't you it, it, it's like, um, um, uh, oh, gosh, um, it's like Denny? if you know if you know that you want to gripe later about how hungry you are mm-hmm. as an excuse to get out of going out and, and hanging out. You're just like, I just want to go home because I'm so hungry and so tired and so worn out. <laughs> <laughs> but in order to justify that early in the day, you're like, oh, they're going to ask me to go out with them. Oh, God, I'm just going to skip lunch because at least then I'll be hungry and get to go home. <laughs> that is not a, a, a valid decision-making process. Right? You are seeding your later decision. It's not about the fact that you were hungry. It's about the fact that you didn't want to go. This was not about the fact that the the whole thing about Anakin and Thrawn was intriguing and let's do a book on it. It was that, well, I skipped lunch. I seeded that stuff in there before. So now it's in it. It wasn't about this is an interesting concept. It was let's do another damn book. And while the book itself was fun, again, it was kind of middle of the road when it comes to this. And it didn't really hold up to the previous one. And it feels like it was like I said, I I use the phrase cheap ass. It feels like it was a cheap excuse to get get Zahn back to write another Thrawn novel to sell a bunch more novels by seeding those references in. If the references weren't there, would they have done this book? Maybe, and maybe it wouldn't feel like a cheap playoff of that. It would feel just like a normal sequel that didn't live up to the original. But instead, it's always going to have that feel to me because they purposely made those little seeding bits. Well, it makes me wonder who decided to do that seeding. I mean, was that a Timothy Zahn thing or was that Delray coming up with suggestions like, hey, you know, you could drop in a line about Anakin and Vader bumping into each other and that would give us an opportunity later. I mean, because think about Denning would do this all the time, right? He would seed books and it would bite us in the butt. I mean, think about the fact with uh, 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 Crucible, right? Like that became the last book of the EU. And yet it promised things like we were going to find out about the Ten Knights and the Dagger of Mortis and how they were going to finally finish off the threat of Abolus because the big bad wasn't actually taken out in the series. And and Jag walking away from being Emperor, who we knew became the Emperor. And yet, for some reason, Denning was like, well, we're going to have him do something else because it was that promise of another book, which makes me wonder, like, was that maybe a Delray decision? Like, were they the ones pushing the idea of we should be seeding? Because at some points, that's a brilliant play when it's done right, right? I mean, you know, like, like think about like Coran Horn, right? We we knew he had Jedi history, but they didn't really 
cash in on that until like what eight nine books later and then he finally embraces being a jedi and stuff like so it could be done right but yeah it definitely felt like it was a heavy hand of marketing at least to me like i almost feel like it might have been a delray choice more than a a timothy zahn choice right which also makes me wonder when they were inserted at all you know was this something where the book was already written and they were talking to him about ideas for another future book like well why don't you go in and add a few lines like this end of the book and that way we can tie them together mm-hmm. right that that may have been something that was decided later but suffice to say um i mean i'm not going to tell people don't read alliance i actually think that it was a decent enough story and it's got some things in it that should be interesting but it's another of these star wars novels of late since the relaunch that doesn't really grab me and excite me it just felt like yes i'm going through a ride of a star wars novel um, I'm waiting for the next great Star Wars novel beyond some, the, the, the few that we've gotten in the past um, from canon, that is. And this wasn't it. And knowing that it was Zahn and it was Thrawn, it had the potential to be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it just didn't turn out that way. But uh, specifics, I guess, we'll have to wait for the spoiler segment. Yeah, and I, I'm with you. I, I would recommend this book. I wouldn't highly recommend it. I would say, you know, it's it's a good ride if you're out of you know, books to read and you're looking for one and you haven't read this one, I would definitely check it out, you know, get your own take on it. Let us know what you think. Uh, in fact, we asked to be honored. So when we get done with our spoiler free or our spoiler free and spoiler part, uh, we're going to run over some of the comments that they had, uh, you know, because star Wars right now, I think in a lot of ways, it, delivers so much for so many people that it also misses the mark for so many for so many things. And I, I'm in the same boat with you, Nate, where I feel like a lot of these books just aren't bringing the bombastic part of the plot, you know, the part that feels like, okay, this definitely impacts everything else. Um, and I don't know if we have to have that, but I definitely miss that. I mean, that was something mm-hmm. that, I mean, think about with the comics, you know, you had dark empire where Luke goes to the dark side and that's referenced in other books, but they never write a book version of that. Like you always had to go back and read that original thing. And for me, it's like, you, you get the books like New Jedi Order and they're moving planets and they're, you know, wiping out life on certain planets and it's changing the impact of of what's going down. And to me, it's that kind of stuff that I really enjoy in my stories, the 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 lasting impacts of the decisions made by the characters and the villains and, you know, a good villain. And I think for me, with the villains in this story, I, I felt like they could have really been a lot more menacing. Uh, and I think that that there were a lot of opportunities that that could have come across, but the really big one was there at the epilogue. Like they really could have put a lot more into the narrative to make that species more of a threat, not just to the chess. They definitely feel like a threat to the chess, but more for the empire as well. I really felt like, like Zahn was leaning to try to sell that one. Like it was a really hard. So I was like, we need to make it a threat. So it justifies everything we've done so far. But I, I just I didn't feel like that really worked. And I think that for for me and, and it sounds like for you, like that's definitely something that's impacting part of the storytelling process. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. So consider that your spoiler warning beyonders and sentience of all ages, because here we go. On another adventure. Beyond the films. Yay, the chains are off. Okay, so <laughs> the 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 thrust of all of this, um, the two thrusts of all of this 
One, it, to, to, I don't want to give like a summary summary. It's been long enough since reading it in depth and summarizing it that I don't want to try to give a summary here because I'm sure I'll screw something up or miss something important. But to put it in a nutshell, the too long didn't read version, um, the past segment, the segment that takes place during the Clone Wars, basically uh, one of Padme's handmaidens has discovered something suspicious, and then she goes missing and winds up dead. While she's missing, Padme goes out to find her, to reunite with her, only to find that she is dead, and follow up on her investigation to eventually find this uh, Serenin, that is from Sereno, uh, noble, working with the Separatists, trying to make a name for himself at this factory on Mokvidj, or Mokivj, or however you're supposed to say it. Um, and basically... It's Cortosis. Okay, it's the same thing we've seen plenty of times within Legends now being played up here in canon. The idea of Cortosis, or it's something that's able to block blaster shots, it's something that's able to uh, uh, cause issues with trying to uh, uh, cut through it uh, or damage it with lightsabers and so on. Basically, it's just Cortosis, or, and they're trying to make Cortosis battle droids. We've seen that before in Legends, um, albeit not a big thing. And of course, they shut it all down, it's all over with, and. Yeah, it has apparently no bearing on anything because we never see the Cortosis really come back. Um, and in the process of the mission, when Padme uh, goes missing because she's helped out by Larry Daryl and his other brother Daryl. Um, wow, I'm sure <laughs> some people will get that, but I most did. people probably won't. Uh, but when she's helped out by three locals, Daryl uh, and Larry and, and the other Daryl, um, basically she is working with them uh, to try to you know deal with the situation. Anakin finds that she is essentially missing, goes out to find her, winds up running into Thrawn, and together they, you know, proceed uh, to eventually reunite with Padme, and so things play out. In the present part, there's basically this strange force thing happening around the same general location in which all the events in the Clone Wars era storyline took place that causes Palpatine to send both Thrawn and Vader together as sort of this joint command where they're always kind of jockeying over who's got dominance and all, out to go investigate. And essentially it winds up being that you've got this group called the Grisks. Uh, there, there's one of these many threats out in the unknown regions that are kind of scouting around, and it seems like they might be ready to make a move on the Chiss or maybe even make a move on the Empire sometime soon, et cetera, et cetera. But their big thing that's drawing Thrawn into it is that they've been kidnapping Chiss children, but not all Chiss children, because it turns out that the Chiss do have Force Sensitives, which is another thing from Legends that existed, uh, like Nuru Kungurama, the Padawan of the Secret Missions series. Yeah. Um, but in this, in canon, apparently, Chiss uh, Force users tend to always be kids who manifest, who then have almost a precognitive flight ability, the way that like Anakin flies his Starfighter. So they have those kids used as navigators, essentially, to get through the unknown regions of some of these parts of space you otherwise couldn't get through. But... They eventually essentially outgrow their force ability, and then it's gone. So you're not going to have a bunch of force-sensitive Chiss adults around, and these children are considered sort of a valuable, important resource for the Chiss and their spacefaring in general. And now the Grisk are trying to get their hands on them, etc. And this was a secret that Thrawn is trying to keep from the galaxy at large so that they don't become more of a target. Others don't try to do the same thing, et cetera, et cetera. And along the way, of course, Thrawn is trying to keep everything very close to the chest and not tell Vader things until it's absolutely necessary. And they've worked together before, but of course Thrawn can't let on that he realizes that Anakin and Vader are the same person, and Vader's always wondering if so. Um, 
And along the way, the fact that Thrawn is keeping everything so close to the chest causes a lot of frustration for Vader, uh, as Mark alluded to before. So that's kind of the general gist of what we're we're getting. Um, I want to go back to something you said, though, in at, when we get to a specific point here. So a specific point that you brought up in the spoiler-free part, which is the fact that they did a good job of giving uh, Vader frequent reasons not to just throttle Thrawn because he's constantly, you know, putting off answers. Um, I I think the exact opposite. I think that Vader in this book gets weakened substantially as a powerful, imposing presence because it's constantly, constantly in the narration and in his dialogue, you're going to tell me or else, you're going to tell me or else, oh, it's going to be a bad damn day for you if you don't tell me. <laughs> and then it's, and then it's, oh, all right, whippersnapper, you go ahead and tell me later. He's constantly threatening and then not following through. He's constantly mm -hmm. pushing, not getting what he wants, and then not following through. He's constantly basically letting Thrawn walk all over him throughout the book. And granted, part of it is, you know, Thrawn is essentially a, a favorite of Palpatine. Got it. Mm -hmm. um, and But at this point, it just seems odd that Vader is willing to let himself constantly be contradicted and, and ignore and have his demands ignored and have the truth withheld from him for so long. Um, especially given that at least early on in the book, they seem to be wondering whether or not they are rivals or if they are essentially different, for lack of a better term, different chess pieces on Palpatine's board and mm. don't need to worry about working at cross purposes or one supplanting the other. Um, but I felt like the tension between – if this book was like half as long as it was, the tension between Thrawn and Vader would have worked. As it stands, as long as that tension drags out, it reaches a point where Vader stops being Vader to some degree. Yeah. Because Vader should have friggin' force-choked him or snapped and torn up a docking bay or, you know, <laughs> or even done what he threatened to at one point and just pulled the pa the parental thing and said, you know what? If you don't tell me, I'm going to turn this Star Destroyer back around and go right back to Coruscant right? without dessert and McDonald's. Um, no friggin' Happy Meal for you, Red Eyes. Um, <laughs> he just it, it just didn't work, not in as long as they dragged it out within that part of the story. Mm. He's if Vader had been left in the dark, found something that was like a clue and that forced him to go up to Thrawn, and Thrawn finally revealed things, and then maybe Vader had to also keep it close to the chest, and was sort of in on the secret, and it was maybe the rest of the crew that they were trying to keep it from, or something, or some third party. Maybe that would have worked as worked better, because then Vader wouldn't have constantly been being treated like, ha I ain't telling you, throughout most of that part of the book. Um, yeah. it just It just rubbed me the wrong way. The way that Vader was treated. I think Thrawn was treated fairly well. I mean, Thrawn stands up fairly well and doesn't come off as a godlike figure. He just comes off as a really Sherlock Holmesian, um, brilliant guy in most respects. Um, but I would also say that just as frustrated as Vader was, there were plenty of times where what Thrawn was doing was frustrating. The, mm -hmm. the Thrawn novel and the Thrawn trilogy, it was always like, oh, this is going to happen. And then it happens like, and this is how I knew. Or here's this tactic. Trust me, it's going to work. And then it works. And here is how I knew. This book was a lot of, you just have to trust me. You will just have to trust me. You know what you're going to have to do? Trust me. Or, or the one time they tell everything, he's like, I will tell you all that I can. And the chapter ends right there. You're like, oh, what the? Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you everything. You know, the end, to be continued. Um, yeah. So in essence, like in a lot of ways, I think what makes a good mystery book 
and a good suspense novel a lot of times and a good uh, uh, thriller is that you're sort of dragging the audience along behind you and they're starting to figure it out as the characters are. And the hope is that they'll figure it out either either have it almost figured out and then the big revelation comes or they figure it out right as the big revelation comes so that they can feel a sense of enjoyment and confidence and, and a boost from having also figured it out rather than figuring it out either way in advance and then feeling like the rest of the story is tedious getting up to the reveal um, or the flip side being there is so little information provided that when the revelation finally comes, the reader's like, that's what it was about. You didn't drop enough hints of that. And this yeah. seems like it's that latter situation. The audience is kept almost as much in the dark as Vader is. And oh, as such, so. it doesn't feel like the payoff in a mystery sense mm. happens the way that you would typically expect it to in good mystery fiction. I mean, he's not writing a mystery, but he builds a mystery into it that winds up having sort of that subplot kind of thing going on. I, so, yeah, I mean, and I don't want to feel like I'm trashing the book because it's, again, it's a decent enough read. Yeah. It's just, the it, it's almost like I feel like I expected this to be so great that it's almost like I feel like I have to justify why I think it's only eh and <laughs> meh instead of woohoo. Um, and I don't well, want this not to be the wrong. big negative episode coming back. But No, no, but I, I get what you're saying, though. I mean, because, like, even what we got was maybe, like, three out of 20 times that we had those situations, and only a few times did they deliver. Because I wrote I wrote down uh, around page 206, there's a discussion between Thrawn and Vader, and Vader goes, you know, those who created the disturbance in the forest. Thrawn goes, yes. You said you would tell me who they are, Vader said. And then Thrawn goes, well, if we take them alive, I will tell you. If not, there's no reason for you to ever know. And I'm thinking, Vader ought to kill him right now. Does Thrawn not realize he's number two in the Empire? I mean, there were moments where, yeah, that definitely threw me off. But I, I felt like, and when I was saying it in the spoiler-free part, it was like, there were enough of that where I felt like, okay, at least there, Thrawn, Zahn was uh, aware of that enough to put that in. But I do agree there should have been more because there were a lot of times where I was very frustrated. And again, like with that other spot where he's like, I'll tell you all I can, and then they just changed chapters. I'm like, oh my god. Because at that point, I'm I was ready to just throw the book down a few times because I'm like, I, I need to know more. Like, there's not enough to keep me interested right now. And I was getting irritated about that because, like, there were a lot of really cool little throwaway things that I found very interesting, right? Uh, one of them was the reference to the Stormtroopers' rank being white on white. Like, holy cow, I have never thought of that one. But when you look at every Stormtrooper armor, they've always had that rank insignia there, but it was just white. But to think that there were computers that could read it that people's eyes couldn't, like, that... You know, I, I that blew my mind. I had no idea anything like that could happen. Um, the fact that we had the first Legion uh, in the 501st, like that threw me off. I was like, why in the hell do we need to have this? Uh, the fact that the shields never touched the ground so people could breathe. I'm like, is this new? Like, like has that always been that way in Legends and no one ever really talked about it before? Because, like, I remember in the Clone Wars cartoon, those shields went, like, all the way down. They just had to hide in the thing and slid over them. So, so there was things like that. Uh, we had Mordic, found out Mordic was a female stormtrooper. No, no Trump or fanfare. Just bam, there it is. Thought that was kind of cool. A lot of little things like that, but it kept coming back to the mystery and the way that that damn Sherlock Holmes aspect of we're gonna keep it for you till the end really did. I didn't feel like it paid off. It was just not enough breadcrumbs, as it were, to keep me hooked. Like it was easy to get lost in the forest because there there was a lot of things on the forest floor that looked like breadcrumbs. And it turned out there wasn't very many breadcrumbs on the ground. So I got lost a few times. <laughs> I did like you mentioned the the female stormtrooper. I did like the fact 
that well well I get two things one the smaller one off to the side which is um, there's a female stormtrooper not a big deal just happens to be a female stormtrooper in the stormtrooper ranks doesn't doesn't really do anything to advance the story other than just that happens to be who this character is um, I will give this to Zahn he is one of the modern Star Wars writers who does not try to force his personal political views into the way characters are designed for his stories mm -hmm. um, for better or worse so for those who want to see more of a Daniel Jose Oder kind of thing or a Chuck Wendig approach this book isn't going to do it for you for those who are rubbed the wrong way by those approaches, this one will feel more like a breath of fresh air because it will be something other than that. I mean, that is something that is of note. We we note it when someone seems to be really pushing um, uh, one perspective or another uh, in the culture war kind of stuff. So I guess we should note it when somebody doesn't seem like they're taking a side and they're just trying to tell a freaking Star Wars story. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned the, the troops. And I do like the fact that in the story we get basically uh, Karen Farrow and the other members of the Chimera crew, the people that in many cases we met back in the original Thrawn novel. He's carried much of his crew with him. Because, um, of course, that I mean, that was leading up into Thrawn showing up in Rebels, and now this is just after season three of Rebels. It's not like a lot of time has passed. Mm -hmm. um, and you also have Vader with his troops. And then you have Thrawn's kind of hand-picked you know, assassin. He's got Rook there. Um, and we find out a little bit about the origins of his cloaking device thing. Um, but it was interesting to see in canon something that we haven't seen as much in canon as we did sometimes in Legends, which is the whole idea of when you have different command crews or different teams working together with allegiance to their commanding officer, um, that sometimes there is going to be that uh, that rankling, that ruffling, that rush, ruffling of feathers. Um, there's going to be a little bit of friction between the groups that eventually they will have to work together. They may have different ideas on how to do things, and sometimes it'll come down to rank as to who it is whose uh, particular preferred next course of action winds up being the one that is taken. Um, uh, or maybe even something where it's you know different branches of a military who are kind of having a good-natured poking at each other. Um, to see that here worked well. It wasn't just Vader and Thrawn who were having to work together and at times had friction between them. Their crews, their teams, were very similar as well uh, in that respect, including Ruck being kind of this weird, odd wild card. And, of course, by the time it's over with, of course, they're going to find a way to work together. I mean, that was pretty obvious from the get-go. I mean, that's kind of always the way that it works. Um, but they spend a lot more time with the members of the teams and their interactions than I would have expected in this book, especially since they're already having to split time between Vader Thrawn and Anakin Thrawn. Mm -hmm. To also spend some of the Vader Thrawn time on the Vader's team slash Thrawn's team side of the perspectives. Um, I thought that was a, a pretty welcome addition to it. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it at first. Um, and it doesn't really ever become something enormous, but it is cool to see how they're working together. Because it's not like either one necessarily despises the other commanding officer or the other team or anything like that. It's they have so much esteem for the man leading them that they assume that that's who should be calling the shots and that's the team that should be calling the shots because hey we work for the big guy it'd be like you know you take steve jobs and bill gates at different points in their careers and stick them in the same room um, with members of their team there's going to be some rivalry and yeah there's the company rival certainly uh company rivalry certainly um but in essence a lot of that would probably come down to ever each side thinks their guy is the most brilliant guy in the room and should be the one leading the meeting right 
Yeah, you know, some other interesting things was like Thrawn was surprised to learn that Republican ships or the Republican ships had navlocks. Like at first I was completely like, why? But when we get the reveal that the Chiss were using force sensitive children, mostly girls even to guide them. And they were even called Skywalkers. I thought that was interesting. Uh, You know, it it reminded me a lot of when we got uh, Kip Duran flying through the Mon using the Force. And we even see Vader at one point do this with the uh, Chimera, where he's guiding them with the Force. I thought that was a really cool moment. Um, We also see Vader use the Force to uh, make a dead body seem alive. He later uses that as Vader, which I think is one of those those tells that kind of gave Thrawn idea that this might be the same person. Uh, But he uses that on his spare armor, which I thought was great. It was a great moment because, like, you know, the armor comes in. You think it's Vader and all these bugs that crack onto him and he gets all locked up. And then all of a sudden Vader comes in and just, like, wipes him out. And I was thinking, like... Vader should use a droid in his suit of armor to do like a, a, a replica, you know, do like the HMDs that uh, Nick Fury uses where you can have all these stories where Vader dies. But you find out it's just another droid body that Vader's like off in some room on on uh, Mustafar in his castle or something, controlling him all the Iron Man kind of stuff. <laughs> he rules Latveria with an iron fist, right? <laughs> right. Um, the Doom bots. Uh, I, I do find it uh, two things about that. One. I think it was funny that you called it a Republican ship as opposed to a Republic <laughs> ship, because immediately my thought was, you'll never see one of them in a caravan. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, the, poli- the the political, we're just past the election. In fact, the election, the gov- gubernatorial election in Georgia still isn't over yet, as of the time right. that we're recording this. Um, but uh, the other thing is, spare armor? I guess it was it should always have been a duh. But of course he's got spare armor. How many times do we see his armor get damaged or blown the hell up or screwed up in some way? Uh, And minor changes, yeah. So surely, of course, he had spare armor that he could switch into. Just like Boba Fett presumably has all these spare uh, armor sets that he could swap out pieces with when ones get damaged. But I remember thinking that, huh, spare armor. That's new. Mm -hmm. Logically, it's always been that. I'm sure there's been references to it in the past in Legends in particular. But using it so overtly of just, well, of course, we've got a spare suit of armor around here. So why not use it for something? Right. Well, even on page 123, we learned Vader's able to catch blaster bolts on his gloves. I'm like, oh, so it's the armor. It's not a force trick. I remember that was always like a force trick. And then there was the glove of Darth Vader where they're like, oh, it's a special glove. It uses the force. And now you're like, no, it's just he had armored glove. That's all. No biggie. Man, if finding the glove of Darth Vader makes you emperor, what happens if you find his spare suit? (laughs) (laughs) Here we are, princess of the universe. Mm -hmm. We also had reference to Rebels. Uh, You know, Vader knew about Thrawn's mess up with Phoenix Squadron on Atalon or Adalon. Uh, I thought that was a nice thing. Thrawn had a a communication device that uh, sidestepped the jamming. So I I like those little things where you find out, oh, well, you know, he had this bit of technology or he knew about this form of technology. Those, you know, I always, when Timothy Zahn does that, I always have mad respect for the getting into somebody in that Sherlock mindset because I can't think three levels far like that. The the closest I can get is playing a game of chess and maybe out thinking a five-year-old, but that's about it. I got to say, the references to Rebels, um, they worked well to give us a, a sense of how it's connected. There wasn't so many of them that it felt heavy handed, but there were enough of them to make you feel like, yes, this is all connected. It does matter. He is still reeling from the effects, Thrawn, that is, 
of what happened at the end of the season. Yes, this is going to lead us into eventually him going back in for the next season and so on. This, I mean, it does fit where it's supposed to fit. Um, I thought that was done pretty well. Um, I must say, though, that also along with Eli Vanto not being there uh, and really no mention of him. If I remember correctly, I mean, Eli, Vanto no, there, just there was just one a- mention. There was like a, a cast off of like early on Thrawn thinking about, well, it'd be nice to talk to him, but he's off in just like it was a quick throwaway one line. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, he disappears at the end of the last book and, you know, we haven't seen him since. So him not coming back took away a foil character for Thrawn and a companion character for Thrawn that I feel like was really a big of why the first one worked so well. Um but also, it's interesting that, you know, this is essentially, it's being promoted as if this is sort of a sequel to the original Thrawn novel. And not really. It's just a second book that focuses on Thrawn. Mm-hmm. Because we also don't have our Hinda Price carrying over either. And yeah. she was a big part of the previous one. In fact, her story was kind of like the one that ran parallel to Thrawn's as opposed to two different time periods running parallel. Um so the fact – I mean maybe that's the part of the thing that came to me was that this book really is told in here's the Vader Thrawn, here's the Anakin Thrawn, and here's the Padme, Larry, Daryl, and Daryl stuff. Yeah. Um, and there really wasn't a lot of opportunities to get – aside from a few times with you know their troops, there wasn't another major plot going on alongside it. Um, and there, I don't feel like there was enough interplay between the past and present stories to feel like they needed to be told together. Like this could have been told as two separate shorter books. Absolutely. And yeah. other than the fact that some of the locations are similar, there's not a whole lot of connection. What what Larry, one of the one of the doofuses, winds up being the bartender yeah. <laughs> after they leave him at the end of the first part. Whoopie freaking do. Um this could have been told as two separate ones, but I think that's part of what it was. Um, I'm not sure that sometimes I had trouble remembering where they left off or following the plot mm. so much as there were times I was disappointed because mm. it was almost as though it would build to, you know, dun, 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 at the end of a chapter for, let's say, the Clone Wars era. And it'd be like, and we'll take you back now to the Galactic Civil War era and take a few <laughs> chapters before you get the payoff for that cool thing you saw a little bit ago. Right. And it was very much a I think that I think the purpose would have been to make it like an emotional roller coaster. Dun dun dun. Ooh, the suspense as you read through the next part that builds to its own dun dun dun. And now we pick back up again with the other part to to give you the payoff. I'm assuming they meant it to sort of feel that way. And instead, it just felt like every time it was getting good, it switched gears. Mm-hmm. No, I, and, I 100% agree with that. And I don't know. And it's it's and it's hard for me to get into it when it's doing that, especially when I mean, the whole thing about the Chiss children, I thought that was actually pretty cool. It's a unique twist. I don't think we saw anything like that within Legends um, to give them something else that's unusual to Chiss society, to give them something that ties into the force, um, mm-hmm. whether they ever use it in the future or not. Who knows? Depends on if. You know, Zahn writes another novel or if um, they do something with Thrawn, you know, maybe some of the kids find him at, you know, as as Ahsoka and Sabine are out there hunting for Ezra. Maybe the Chiss kids are out there hunting for Thrawn or something. Well, and that's an interesting um, twist. Let's park on that for a second, because yeah. the the way that they go about the force with their kids 
is different. As they get older, they're less in contact with the force. Mm-hmm. They kind of lose their ability. So when they're Hold in on. their, what was it, nine to nine through fourteen, like they were like the the ripest for this use that the the Grissics were using them for. And were the Grissics force users as well? Like I never quite got that. Like I don't know if if the Chiss were the presence that we were feeling completely, or if the Grissics as force users recognize this and, and recognize the ability that the Chiss had. And then like the Sith of old seized on another force using tradition to utilize that ability. Like I wasn't quite sure on that. I, I, there were so many times that I felt like with the Grissics, there was so much of the narrative left out. We only had Thrawn's point of view and like so many times he goes, there are still uncertainties. Thrawn said, I would therefore prefer not to speak about this at this time. It's like, are you kidding me? I need to know Thrawn. More than Vader, who ought to be throttling you and choking you until your eyeballs pop out. And let me throw one out there. I think that's another thing that's that's I, w- I wouldn't even have thought about it, I, or at least I, I hadn't thought about the idea since I was summarizing it. And that's another thing about the way that the book plays out. In the Clone Wars era segment, we've got um, – we have Anakin. We have Padme. We have Thrawn. We have him going up against the little Serenan noble dude. Mm-hmm. But at least there's a face on the enemy. Yeah. There's a face on the person. There's a motive to the person and so on. It's flipped when it comes to the Galactic Civil War era stuff, because in that case, what we're basically getting is this uh, this broader societal clash that could be coming. But the enemies themselves, the Grisks and so on, um, they never really get much personality. We don't really get much in the way of individuals within their group. I don't think there's ever a single named one, or if so, certainly not one worth remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 not it's difficult to have an engagement in a conflict when there's not a face on either side. It's most engaging a lot of times when you can understand, you know, the motivations of both sides, and maybe you know each side has like a seed of thinking that they're right, as most villains do. Um, I'm thinking like right now um, uh, I'm reading the book Patriot Games, which is what the movie Patriot Games was based on. It's the first chronological book in the Jack Ryan stories that actually features Jack Ryan by Tom Clancy. Mm-hmm. And if you've never seen it or never read it, there's basically – it's a an Irish terrorist group um, back when that was a big thing. Um, it's an Irish terrorist group. Um, and Jack accidentally stops one of their attacks, and it winds up blowing back because then they're coming after him. And they take the time in both the movie and especially in the book to try to give us the other side's perspective and why they're doing what they're doing and their actions. And the characters never come off as particularly sympathetic. They still come off as reprehensible human beings, but you get why they're doing it, and it puts a face to the, that side of the conflict that makes it all work better when the two sides finally clash. Um, you don't get that here with the Grisks. Um, mm. The Grisks, I mean, as, it, it's it's just they're the nameless, faceless villains of the piece. They could have been anyone. Um, they could have been droids. They're just there um, to give them something to fight against to cause the revelation of what's going on with these Force-sensitive children. Um, maybe, maybe. If we gotten like maybe one or two of them that were pretty strong uh, characters that might be foils to Vader and Thawn, that could have played out well. But there's never any attempt really to do that. Mm-hmm. So instead, it's like if the if the uh, if the actual confrontation, if the actual conflict of the Clone Wars era part is 
good versus evil, republic versus separatists, um, our three heroes versus the separatist leader guy, um, then what is the personal conflict that we get out of the Galactic Empire part? If the broader mm-hmm. conflict is, well, we got to find these kids because the Grisk are trying to get them, really the only more personal conflict in it is Thrawn versus Vader, which just makes Vader's constantly being willing to put off getting answers all the more – it makes that all the more a weakness in the storytelling of that part because it doesn't have another personal, uh, direct, individual conflict to keep that part buoyed as you're reading it. Well, that's why I kept feeling like the the Grissics were a replacement for the Vong, and yet it also felt like that was the idea they were going for, but they didn't want to play on it too heavily. I mean, we see the Grissics use the technology that can move planets into hyperspace lanes, basically closing, closing off forms of travel. And he uses that as the bait, you know, for, for Vader as, you know, this is affecting not just my people, but the Empire, too. And then he's like, you know, they've been watching the Empire for a long time. They're they're basically poised to invade. And we know that they'll kidnap Force users and that they were coming up with weapons to use against Jedi. So they had been watching for a long time. But yet, yeah, there was there was nothing to them that made them any more sinister than that. So, I mean, that definitely threw me off. And then you see you see Thrawn going out of his way throughout the time period, you know, in, in the past. He's all about the Chiss Ascendancy. That comes first. And then the present, it's like, well, I can do both. Yet in the past, like he's stealing generators that, that create shields because this is something that holds so much power in a small form that the Chiss have never used. And, you know, so he's helping them. But I don't know, like, like I really feel like the, the dichotomy of having the Empire and then having Thrawn, a character that's trying to straddle both worlds at the same time, he needed to deliver more. And I can understand because he's in that, that two world spot, he not wanting to, as a character, deliver it. But from the reader's perspective, you had to have more. I mean, we're constantly just waiting for him to give us a little bit more from Vader. I mean, I kept waiting for the epilogue, especially like I I was like, this could have been a a great opportunity if they would have had an epilogue with Vader and Sidious talking at the end. You know, the episode ends like an episode of a TV series, you know, mission accomplished for now. But we get some insight from Sidious as to why Thrawn's crucial and why the Grissics need to be watched. But we never got any of that. I mean, I think like one of the only things that really got me excited was that at the end, Vader basically tells Thrawn, you know, you're ordered never to speak Anakin Skywalker's name again. Like, I just like, you know, that was like a really cool moment. And the way we get to that was cool. But it's just, I feel like in so many ways, Timothy Zahn is boxed with this character. I mean, you know, you've got to be five steps ahead all the way. And I feel like there's so much he's done with this character already in Legends and now even in canon that it's really hard to deliver it in new ways that don't feel like he's not giving us enough. And that's where I felt I am, is that there was just not enough of a lot of the hints and not enough of the narrative, not enough of the villain, not enough of that plot. I mean, I love the fact when we got to that point in the past where Padme's story interacted with with Thrawn and Anakin's. That was great. And I was waiting for something like that for the actual Vader story arc, but we don't get that. We just get the epilogue and then bam, it's over. I mean, if it feels like one of those movies like uh, the the uh, a silent place where it's like you just cruise along and then bam, here we're at the end. You're like, wait, that just happened? Like that's we're we're pulling the brakes on this. Like I, we should have had two more chapters. So I get back to that man. If they would have put a scene with Sidious, you know, and, and it makes me think of in Legends with the uh, Xavier invader and that rivalry there. Like just give us a scene like that. They could have done it at the beginning and one at the end, you know, and 
we had slightly it at the beginning where it starts out with Sidious going, you know, there's a great disturbance in the force and that's about it. But if we would have came back around to that, I think that that would have helped a lot more in that lackluster feeling that I came away with. They could have just had like a leader for the Grisks and have him introduce himself as a, my name is Mit Namanoru Duodo, but you can call me Namanor. See, <laughs> see what I did there? Um, I do think that um, you mentioned the whole when when we see the Padme part. One thing that I did think was a strength, I'd say there's two things that stand out as strengths to me um, that I haven't mentioned that, you know, bear mentioning, I think. Um, one is the way they handled the Padme part of the story. Because what you've got initially is a bouncing back and forth between Clone Wars, we'll call that point A, and um, Galactic Civil War, right, point B. And it's A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. And then in comes Padme's part where we finally get to see what happened with her and sort of see, instead of just the unraveling of the mystery of what happened to her, see her actually carrying out those events. And that actually takes place slightly before the events of point A, the Clone Wars part that we're mainly seeing, and eventually her segments catch up to where Thrawn and Anakin are. So in essence, it's A, B, A, B, then all of a sudden there's a C that takes place before all of them, and it's, you know, A, C, A, B, C, A, B, 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 C, and it's just back and forth and back and forth, but it all still makes sense depending on which group of characters you're looking at until finally C and A merge. You know, they finally, ret- you know, they come together, uh, and I think that played out well. Instead of it just being Padme later telling them what she went through, actually getting a chance to see it, especially since there are so many longer gaps in some of the stuff happening with her that it makes sense to give us time to focus on the other characters. If they had told that chronologically, the suspense for the reader of whatever happened to Padme um, would not have been as great. On the other hand, though, if the idea was that the suspense of whatever happened to Padme was supposed to be what's building, they undermine it the moment that that Zahn starts telling the story of Padme and what Mm -hmm. she did, because now we know that she is safe. But again, that's a good way at least of getting away from the idea of, oh, we're putting movie characters or characters whose fates you already know in peril again, whatever could possibly happen. When of course we know that nothing earth shattering could happen to those characters. Um, uh, So that's, that's one thing I thought was pretty good. Um, uh, I also do think that the way that they handled uh, the force and the perception of it. You mentioned the whole, you know, the Jedi. That's one way that they really kind of got into Vader's head. I like the way they also got into Vader and Anakin's head when using the Force. Things like, um, to read a quick passage here, the two closest went flying as the vehicle rammed into them, throwing them five meters backward. The next two had just made it far enough to the sides to avoid getting run down. <sighs> Double vision. Blaster rising close at hand, preparing to fire. The first of the two, the one Thrawn had identified as the leader, jerked back as Anakin's close-in lightsaber slash sliced his blaster in half. Double vision. The thug behind him ducking and shooting from waist-high position. The Mm. second managed one shot. Anakin's blade was already in position to deflect it into the wall beside him. Double vision. Thrawn breaking hard and spinning the rear of the landspeeder around toward the last thug, etc., etc., etc. Where it's this idea of not just, you know, Anakin sensed it coming but actually giving us a way of sort of perceiving how he would have perceived it. I thought that was really well done. Um, mm-hmm. I think my, my I'm kind of torn on that issue because one part of me says, I'd love for more star Wars novels to give us that a way yeah. of perceiving how they're perceiving the force. On the other hand, I could see the trouble forming if different authors take different approaches to that for the same character and it comes off yeah, as completely the same different. Especially. Although if it's different characters, it could just be that everybody perceives the force a little bit differently because it's a unique psychology or whatever. But yeah, you know, like, somebody like else Coran Horn and uh, 
Jax Pavon, uh, even Jaina Solo, like they all came at different things, different angles. But you're dead on, though. If you do it to the same character, Vader's doing five different ways. Unless he's specifically trying out a new force technique, it just that doesn't work. Right, right. Uh, the other thing that I found, and honestly, I don't have a lot of notes left for it. And I say that as if I took any notes at all, um, <laughs> other than the timeline, but I'm making notes as we talk. Um, the only thing that stood out to me was that uh, Anakin's actions at the end of his part. Um, I don't think get enough credit for being another example of of who he's going to eventually be as Vader, um, because when it comes down to it to destroy the Cortosis, he basically destroys a set of minds that destabilize the freaking planet. In essence, it's literally an earth shattering type of of attack. Uh, it's like his approaches. They're all like, well, you know, you know, people live here. People work here. You know, they they need the livelihood or they need this or they need that. Think about the planet. Think about the people. And and Anakin's like, well, you can't make an omelet without blowing up the kitchen and just, you know, re- causes major ecological disaster to end this particular possible threat to the mm-hmm. Jedi and such. And it's I think that that um, that was pretty cool. I mean, but then again, there is that finality to the fact that supposedly, well, the cortosis is gone. Maybe that explains why it doesn't show up again later. Um, but it's another one of those once you've unleashed the idea of cortosis. It always is going to bring up the question of, well, why isn't that happening? It's, it's like with the crossovers on the Arrowverse stuff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Or the Avengers stuff in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Once you bring up the idea that all these characters can come together and help each other on these major things, why is it that the big bad of the season never requires help from the other people who right. are always around when that one special week or crossover or movie comes around? Um, on Supergirl, why is it that Supergirl's always always dealing with these Kryptonian threats and Superman's like, you got this, cuz. It's okay. I don't need to deal with any of this. Um, it's the same kind of thing. Like, once you unleash something as a concept onto the universe, it always begs the question of, well, why doesn't it show up later um, when it would make sense? Um, I mean, I think back to the Zillow Beast, and this is kind of like the novel version of the Zillow Beast, right? Which I just did a commentary on for Patreon, um, which is, you know, well... We want to take this thing in and study it, and even if it's dead, we want to clone it because we want to study its its uh, scales because that scale could be used as armor because it uh, withstands lightsabers, and then we never see it again, ever. Right. <laughs> it begs the question of where does it go? If it's all one continuity, there should be ramifications, and unless his earth-shattering eco-explosiveness in this book took care of all the cortosis possible, then shouldn't it? Have shown up elsewhere at some point i know it's been referenced yep. i think but it's certainly not made a, a major plot point within canon well no i mean i mean we know it can't possibly be on one planet one planet alone i mean i'm sure that they could make an argument for that but even so i mean that's part of of the end plot reveal as to why the gristics didn't invade because as a as thrawn puts yeah uh, but the but Dooku surprised them. Instead of supplying armor battle droids, he armored both droids and clone owner. I believe that it was that surprise and the further reconsideration it forced upon them that delayed the Grissic's movement into the Empire until now. Of course, Vader knows that it wasn't Dooku's plan, that it was actually Palpatine's. But, I mean, are we supposed to then assume that none of the droids and none of the armor ever got shipped off the planet? I mean, I don't buy I would think somewhere at some point we're going to get some clone armor or something where they got this or, or maybe somebody finds the clone armor that was supposed to be shipped off or something. The droids get out there somewhere. I would think something had to have moved forward in that regard. I mean, that was definitely something for me, too, that I was kind of like, huh, Ooh. that's I mean, what a great opportunity. And then we're just going to get rid of it like that. 
I bet you. I bet you at least one set of the uh, the Cortosis armor found its way into Lando's closet. <laughs> right. In a, in a, you can in wear a, in that a mithril a weave. That looks real good. Right. Yeah. I love that. That not only were the Chiss called Skywalkers, that the Force itself was called Third Sight. Uh, the way that they were using that worked out really great. Um, that I thought was brilliant. But you were talking about the Force, and on uh, page uh, 254, there was a great line, and it said there was. Vader noticed a strange sort of symmetry to the Force, a balance that often manifested in patterns and resonance and strange reunions. People long separated would unexpectedly meet again. Events of significance would see echoes of themselves within new places. Places once visited would somehow draw a person back to create new memories, whether for good or for ill. And that was him, uh, I believe it was when he returned to Batu. which, uh, I mean, if you're not upon things that's where star wars land in the in the disney places are going to be so i thought that was kind of a cool tie-in um why i did appreciate that want to go back to batu batu man well and, and the fact that the grissics were going to cut batu off from the other part of the galaxy you know the fact that they were moving stuff like that again that made me feel like they were the vong i mean that was one of the signature weapons of the vong was gravity manipulating uh basil dovens that would lock onto planets move planets or move the ship from planet to planet by locking onto a planet in another you know solar system and dragging the ship that way so there were a lot of things that i felt like like i don't know if they were intentionally trying to push readers of legends to go oh that's a lot like the funk because like that's my jam you know i've i've always said that i've loved the idea of that of the species coming in and that was part of why palpatine was trying to arm up the empire get them strong get them ready and so to bring that back in, knowing that that under George Lucas, Dave Filoni was going to bring the Vong into the Clone Wars, I feel like the Vong have a solidified aspect to them that should come over, whether they're still the Vong or or a new threat retooled in some form or some fashion. I feel like that outside presence, that threat, is that part of them making the leap to canon. Whether they'll be the same or not, I come away with that impression. Yep. So, I don't know. This is just, a, it, again... I think Mark said it well. You know, if you don't have any other Star Wars books to read, check it out. It's not going to be on the top of my list, but at the same time, it's not on the bottom of the list. It's just kind of there. Um, but you talk about impressions. You want to see what the impressions were that the uh, uh, the visitors to the Facebook page had at this point? Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. I mean, first up, we got Jonathan Brenner, our good friend and, and former host. Yeah, uh, Jonathan says, I was disappointed with this one. Uh, the first one had me riveted, but this one fell flat. I agree that it had potential, but the whole idea of the quote-unquote big reveal, being Force-sensitive chess, was not very surprising. Yep. That actually is also referenced uh, by Jared Bond, who said a few things fairly quickly, all seemingly in the mindset of... Um, a Disney canon versus Legends thing, a now versus then uh, type of thought process here. Uh, Fourth sensitive Chiss were in Legends. I like the first book more, honestly. He said Severance Tan from Galactic Battlegrounds on PC was an apprentice to Dooku. Chiss, Force, red lightsaber and all. Oh, and female. By the way, Disney slash Lucasfilm, we had awesome female characters before you showed up. Um, don't want to get too much into that mentality. We've talked about that before and, and didn't talked a lot about the fandom split and whatnot um but for what it's worth at least the fourth sensitive chis in this case are handled in a completely different way mm -hmm. than they were handled in legends you shouldn't see a nuru kungurama for instance in canon because by the time he gets to the point of being old enough to be a padawan he should be seeing his uh, force abilities fade as his hormones begin raging apparently or <laughs> right. something like that uh, Steve Schneider writes, good book, but I noticed an inconsistency. It said in the beginning of the book that Vader was in favor of the Death Star, and yet Chuck Wendig's Darth Vader annual went out of its way 
to say that Vader was so firmly against the Death Star, even implying that he set in motion the events that would lead to its demise in a scene that doesn't gel well with Catalyst. Let's be fair, though. Chuck Wendig's Darth Vader annual doesn't gel well with Catalyst in any sense, particularly the last scene in the book as well. I tend to think that is one that probably should have gone through a lot more editorial uh, 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 revision before it actually saw print, because it certainly is a continuity breaker for several things. Um, mm -hmm. Thankfully, though, I guess the fact that it breaks other things with Catalyst makes me look at that and say, yeah, I, I doubt anybody's going to take it seriously because of of that. Uh, and not because it was Windig, but because the comic has multiple continuity gaps in it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so Stephen Schinder, it, it, it's a viable claim. It's a viable concern if it wasn't that comic. Hopefully the fact that it was that comic makes it not an issue in the future. But yeah, we'll see. Um, let's see. Uh, Giovanni Briggs, or excuse me, Giovanni Braggs says, I prefer the first book, to be honest. Alliances is good and sets up some very interesting things for the future, I hope. But it isn't Zahn's best work. In my opinion, he never quite reached the level of his Bantam era books. Um, gotta say, again, you know my opinion on the Bantam era books. It'll be hard for him to reach the level of the Thrawn trilogy but it doesn't take a lot to beat something like Choices of One. Right. Uh, Ori Kagan writes, uh, way too much deduction business in this one. Everybody's Sherlock. Seriously, Anakin, Padme, Vader, everybody's got the Thrawn bug. And even Giovanni says, true. <laughs> yeah, it says, true, too much detective work, not enough story. I'd say it's still a decent book, but it is very slow, Giovanni says. Yeah, it's like, uh, and, and a mystery novel oftentimes will be very slow. It'd be a slow burn mystery. And this one kind of tries to do a few different things. And mystery is one of them, which tends to to drag it out. And it's not that it's a very long book. I'm looking at this thing here and it's just over 300 pages and it spends its time between two different time periods. And essentially, at least for a while, three different story approaches that it's taking, um, which is what? 100 pages each if we think of it as three, 150 pages or so if we think of it as two. Um, it shouldn't have felt as dragged out as it often did, which I think comes back to it. Though I think that the uh, the Everybody Sherlock thing, I did like the fact that Anakin was presented as a little smarter than he sometimes otherwise comes across. I think a lot of times in, uh, in what we get in both canon and legends, um, Padme comes off as the smart one in that pair, and Anakin's always kind of the, oh, <laughs> duh, thanks, wifey, kind of, you know. Um, so at least Anakin gets to be a little bit uh, more intelligent. It's there. I will say I feel like they're making Anakin in canon a little more consistent with Vader now mm -hmm. um, and having a more consistent through line between where he was and where he is. But, of course, a big part of that is that with Legends, right, I mean, that continuity, not even counting the stuff that was eventually brought back into it, you know, had from 1991 up until 1999 with no prequels and then – up until 2005, before we really knew exactly what the story was for Vader Anakin, and by then a lot of stuff had been written. So, of course, inconsistency was going to have to pretty much be the name of the game. Yeah. Um, let's well, see. Anakin was willing to kill people, too, in the past, like when he was with Thrawn. Like, he was down to just off him. I was like, wow, that's he's not even trying. <laughs> Charles Keller writes, good book. The notion of Force-sensitive Chiss is interesting. Uh, Thrawn figuring out Vader isn't too terribly surprising. You know, and that reminds me, though, there was a moment in the book where Thrawn uses Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber on the shield generator. Now, he may recognize something about Vader and Anakin's lightsabers. That was something I was thinking might have been part of the deduction for him. But now imagine if he ever meets Luke and he comes across that lightsaber. I mean, what a great setup that would be. No, man, he's... 
he winds up coming back from wherever he was when he went with the Pergils and everything, and he winds up showing up for a drink at Maz's castle and drunkenly stumbles into her chest. I mean, not her chest, but stumbles into the chest in the basement. Um, uh, maybe after stumbling into her chest. You know, she liked Chewy. Maybe she liked Thrawn as well. Uh, both very strong male individuals. Uh, and then finally... Now, I guess we should also say that uh, Joshua Anderson responded to Charles there saying, you know, if Tarkin could do it, you know, sure as hell Thrawn would too. That is true. You know, Tarkin figured out the whole Vader-Anakin connection. To have Thrawn figured out doesn't seem like too much of a stretch, certainly. Um, but then Josh Pinnell, last comment here, says, uh, it wasn't as good as the first one. I really miss the Eli Vanto slash Watson and Thrawn slash Holmes relationship. Amen, Josh. I did like the Clone Wars feel to it, though. Mm-hmm. Um I'll say that the Clone Wars part did feel Clone Wars Z. Um, and I think that looking back on it, it was probably a good idea to place it where it did um, with Ahsoka already gone. Because she it would have been another character to try to find something to do with in the book or to come up with a shoehorned reason why she's not in it. Mm-hmm. So to have it be after she already left and Anakin's already dealing with that, that works perfectly well. Um, and then putting Padme in danger, yet again, the idea of you know the separation... Um, being the thing that is going to cause him with his attachments to uh, fall to the dark side. Yep. So that said, I think we're at that point where we about wrap it up. I know for me, uh, you know, I'd say this is a middle ground book. Um, if you hadn't read the first Thrawn book, I would say skip it. Uh, you know, this goes good with the, th- the first one enough to make it worth reading. Um, but by itself, I don't know if you need to really check out how Thrawn and Vader ran into each other. I, I don't feel like that was a tale delivered in a way that's worth checking out on its own. Uh, now, watching this and reading this with the first Thrawn book going into this one, I think you get more payoff in that regard. So I would put this one right in the middle ground for me. Yeah, like I said, it's it's very much sort of a middle of the road kind of thing. Not bad, not great. Certainly the first one um, was better. But uh, it does seed some things that hopefully we'll see pay off so that this doesn't wind up being a book that just, you know, that goes the solo route and sets up things for the future that may never now be resolved. Uh, we'll just have to see. Um, to be fair, for those who are hunting this down, I always try to provide you know what I can as far as where you can find it. Um, there is, of course, the regular version that has um, Vader and Thrawn on the cover, there, and that's Grand Admiral Thrawn uniform. Uh, there is also a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive variant that had Anakin instead of Vader and has Thrawn in his Chiss Expeditionary Force uniform. Um, there's a Barnes & Noble exclusive that has a Padme poster and whatnot. I think it's a double-sided poster, if I'm not mistaken. It has like Padme on one side and then has the uh, uh, the the pair on the other side. Uh, for me, though, the one to grab always is to try Books A Million because Books A Million tends to almost always have signed copies available of most of the new Star Wars hardbacks, and they did, um, as is often the case there, for uh, Thrawn Alliances. So you may still be able to get it. I doubt it, but you may be able to find one on eBay at this point um, that is a uh, a hand-signed Timothy Zahn copy of Alliances. It's the regular cover, but it's got a little circular sticker that says signed copy and has that extra page early in the book specifically for the signature that says uh, Star Wars signed edition with his signature. Excellent, excellent. Pretend it's busy. 
Now that about wraps up the show. We'd like to thank everyone once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. Uh, it's probably been a while since anyone's left a review, so you're it. Uh, you can be the next one. In fact, uh, you can also uh, check out Stars Beyond the Films by going to both Twitter, Facebook pages at Films, or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, and as we did tonight, we may start incorporating that into future episodes when we do reviews. So if you have any uh, Star Wars and or Legends questions, or if you want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWB on films at starwarsfanworks.com now lastly before we go we wanted to mention to you our audible trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport you get a free trial run of audible to see what they're all about our sponsors they have more than 100,000 titles you can explore the star wars expanding universe the harry potter one the aliens one any genre you want without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because audible members they can exchange any book within 12 months that's one year with no questions asked so in this digital age if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook audible just might be right for you so once again for stars beyond the films it's been mark whistler and nathan saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you and don't quote us the odds that we're actually gonna see the whole force sensitive kids thing pay off in the future and not not in a next book entitled Star Wars Thrawn Special Victims Unit. No. No. I, I have a feeling that Thrawn's going to team up with Ezra, and he's going to teach Ezra how to skywalk. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, now, no, no, where no, we'll no, see no, that, no, no, I no, don't no, know. No, no, we are not going to do that. We are not going to do that. You know why? Because it'll be the Aladdin-looking character with the blue character, and that is way too genie. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Thrawn has a complete breakdown while they're lost out in the unknown regions, and he comes back just a complete comic relief. <laughs> you ain't never had a Grand Admiral like me. Oh, what are the odds of that? <laughs>